Welcome to the Accessible Learning Experience, where we help you turn learning barriers into learning opportunities. We're so excited to welcome Mark Nichols to the podcast. Mark is the Senior Director of Universal Design and Accessible Technologies at Virginia Tech, and a longtime friend of the AIM Center and CAST. Our conversation starts with Mark sharing the personal experience with accessibility that drives everything he does as an accessibility professional to create more inclusive learning environments for all learners. We then discuss the exciting Choose Accessible Learning Materials, or COM initiative, and how Mark is working to franchise accessibility on his campus and across Virginia's higher education system. Mark also touches on how the AIM quality indicators inform the work that he does at Virginia Tech. And stay tuned until the end for information on how you can get access to the design files so that you too can implement the COM initiative on your campus. Here then is our conversation with Mark Nichols. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. It's so great to have you with us here on the Accessible Learning Experience, and we've really enjoyed working with you over the years, so I'm really excited to share what you've been working on with our audience. So let's go ahead and get started by sharing what inspires your work as an accessibility professional, and I know you've been in the field for a while, uh, so I'm interested in knowing what is your accessibility story? What drives your work in this field? Yes, great question, and, and thanks again for the opportunity to be here. So my, I think probably my biggest inspiration uh, was my sister, Allison. She was born in 1981, and she was born with severe and profound uh, physical, visual, and intellectual disabilities due to uh, a lack of oxygen at birth. And she was truly a, a medical marvel. Doctors had said she wouldn't live past a couple of years, and you know she proved all of them wrong. She lived into her, her early 20s. She was extremely tiny. Even as like a middle school student, she weighed, I think, 19 pounds, and her highest weight was around 30 pounds. And she required, you know, 100% care with, with all self-help uh, and life tasks. And she could not make any verbalizations. She did not have speech. So she made a variety of different types of vocalizations to indicate happiness and disapproval or, or pain and things like that. And, uh, and so at a very young age, my family was, you know, it was a very tight unit. You know, growing up in the, in the early 80s, there was a lot of different unsolicited thoughts about life with an individual with severe disabilities and, and uh, uh, unsolicited suggestions around institutionalization and things like that. And that was never, you know, that was never considered by my family. Allison was a, was a part of our family. Um, she attended my sporting events, she attended my scout ceremonies. You know, she was she was a um, an active part of our family, and and we never viewed viewed it otherwise. And so, from a very young age, I was very intrigued by having tools and resources that Allison could utilize, uh, specifically for a long time, just to learn cause and effect relationships. And so, you know, really really opened up my eyes, I would probably say when I was five or six even, in helping my parents in creating assistive technologies to help Allison engage at home and, and be active in the in, in, in the community and, and in school. And those, you know, everything from homemade switches from Radio Shack, where we'd get a spatula in, a, in an ice bucket and the switch module purchase from Radio Shack and 
hot glue and voila, you know, uh, don't forget the, the eighth inch uh, mono plug and the stereo wire, but we, we would create uh, battery adapted toys, we'd create switches, and it really kind of opened up my eye to the to the maker world, even really before it was a thing um, in the 80s. And, and uh, my first exposure to communication devices was with the uh, a device called the Whisper Wolf. I never forget uh, that day when that device came home with my sister on her wheelchair, and I was like, whoa, this is like a giant speaking spell and 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 uh, overlays and 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 that that voice from that device will will always remain with me um, because I was just completely fascinated by that and so you know Al Allison really inspired me to 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 continue to find ways of supporting individuals with disabilities. It led to my career going into special education and then uh, postgraduate career in assistive technology. And really, you know, just just my my continued motivation that, you know, as a as a society, we still have a lot of work to do around improving digital accessibility and access for individuals with disabilities. And so her needs and 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 combined with my passion, continued passion for this, have really you know led me to to the career that I'm currently in in higher ed. Um, but really um, got me to the K-12 world where I had an opportunity to to help in with assistive technology needs in the K-12 space and and work with a fantastic group of of colleagues. And then now at the higher ed space on the on the on the later half of that transition side and working with access to course materials and creating accessible environments. She was definitely my motivation from a very, very early age. What a motivation uh, she was. I could uh, just hear the passion coming through your voice as I'm listening to you. And really what you're describing is full inclusion. And you started that in your family where she was part of all of the activities that you did as a family. And um, I love how that has inspired you to continue to work for that full inclusion whether you've been working in K-12 or in higher education, because it doesn't stop when our students leave K-12, right? We need to continue to include them in uh, higher ed as they make the transition to the workforce. So um, I'm so glad that Allison was such a, a great inspiration for you and that she continues to drive your work today. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do at Virginia Tech, bringing it to the current day, um, starting with your inspiration, and then what continues to drive your work today at Virginia Tech? Well, I have the pleasure to work at Virginia Tech with the uh, Accessible Technologies team. So I oversee the the team, um, and it's, it's a small team, but we are um, a team who is very passionate and very vested in um, expanding uh, a digital accessibility across um, the multiple campuses uh, of the university. I arrived at Virginia Tech in 2017, um, and, uh, and during some of my early conversations with my boss, um, one of the things that really stood out stood out to me in one of those conversations was that he used the words franchising accessibility, and and, and that really that really stuck with me. Like, okay, yes, I, I I understand and I agree that accessibility needs to be a shared commitment, and how do we go about building a a culture where that is that is the norm and so that really led my team and i we were in in 2018 i i, I remember very vividly we were sitting in our our office space with a giant whiteboard in front of us and uh, we had uh, the um the web content accessibility guidelines pulled up and uh, we were talking about you know what were some of the uh topic areas that faculty were reaching out to us most frequently to get support on 
And how can we tie that into WCAG, but on a level that, that's relatable um, to faculty? And so that's really where our one of, one of our most successful initiatives came about was from that brainstorm. And that, that's where the Choose Accessible Learning Materials or the Calm campaign campaigns were developed. So these were ways of mapping cont, uh, some of the work specifically to WCAG um, to the needs of our faculty and staff that had been reaching out for consultative support or asking questions. And these campaigns were a way, they, they were the, the bite-sized ways that faculty could join, faculty and staff could join and learn about why and how are those specific topics important and crucial and and understanding that shared responsibility. And our first two campaigns were keep calm and caption on and keep calm and check contrast. So captioning and contrast were two of two that we two areas we frequently were providing professional development on or outreach on or consultative support on or we were seeing some really bad examples across the university in these areas. So we said, you know what? These campaigns are a way for us to deliver this message in a way that doesn't seem overwhelming, that helps to kind of build that capacity underlying that franchising accessibility, right? To build awareness, understanding, but these campaigns had to provide the professional development. They had to provide the tools and the resources necessary for scaled improvement in these respective topic areas. And so, you know, really, really was the foundation of, a st of helping to establish community and, and inspire others here at all levels of the university. And that, that was key that we were looking at it from a bottom up and a top down approach. And so this campaign model has been, I would say, tremendously successful here at Virginia Tech. And we've have poster files that have been developed and we have sticker files um, that we made. And, and, and honestly, I mean, we never really utilized stickers in the K-12 space, so this was a new concept to me, but oh my gosh, like the power of a sticker, I mean, the, we keep calm stickers. We had stickers that um, we passed out to students and faculty and staff, and you know, I will never forget our CIO coming to me and going, yeah, I put one of those stickers on my laptop, and I was in a high-level meeting. I don't even remember what meeting it was, but People were asking me, um, hey, what's this keep calm that's on your laptop? And so what a perfect promotional marketing opportunity to, you know, at, like I said, at all levels of the university to be able to, to build capacity in these areas. And so th those, you know, th those campaigns and, you know, really uh, kind of set the stage for us as a unit to be able to, on a yearly basis, add new campaigns on specific topics that align with the needs of the university, um, whether or not they're strategic needs based on our, you know, our IT strategic plan or university strategic plan, or if they're just needs that we recognize as we're working with faculty and staff that these are areas of needed support. And so we're, we're, I think we're now on our sixth campaign. This year's campaign was keep calm and simplify slides because we had so, we were seeing an increase right after COVID of slide decks that were slide juments that had a ton of text on them or that had text that was really small or that had, you know, color contrast was off, you know, a variety of different things. So we worked with our accessibility network here at Virginia Tech and we got their feedback and opinions and we decided that this year that simplifying slides and, and using the, the master template and updating the master template, slide template for the university to be more accessible was the way that we could provide the tools and resources for folks to continue to scale 
in their respective circles of influence. And so um, it's been a really fun way of, of, like I said, keeping the work around digital accessibility manageable. Because if we approach faculty and we say, okay, here's the 25 things you need to do, that approach would not go well. That would have not worked here at Virginia Tech. So keeping it as a, here's one way, do this, here's the resources, here's the information, build success, and now when you're done with that, hop into this other campaign. We're here to help you on this journey. You know, it's not, it's not the destination, it's small incremental improvements in digital accessibility. Yes, legally, we have to meet all of these conditions, but we're building in small increments the capacity so that we as a university have that franchised approach to digital accessibility. Wow, I heard so much that I just love. I, I love that idea of franchising accessibility, right? That uh, too often it, it is centralized and there's one person who's responsible for it and then that person leaves, that champion leaves and we haven't created the infrastructure behind it. So you've really um, thought strategically about building it from the ground up and then from the top down. So I love that idea of uh, franchising. I love the branding. Um, accessibility sometimes doesn't have the best brand on campus. It's all about the legal mandates and so on. So you found a way to really brand it as something that is fun and you know that has stickers. Hopefully you'll be get t-shirts as well at some point. Yes, well, we got t-shirts as well too, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> so just, just thinking about how we brand it, and I also love the incremental approach. Let's take one year at a time and it's it's really about being strategic, being careful in how you roll things out so that you don't overwhelm people. So there's so much great uh, tips in, in what you just said, Mark. Anything else you recommend um, when it comes to rolling this out with faculty or with department heads in terms of, you know, if there's some resistance there, what would you recommend? Good question. You know, I, I think it's it's going back to the focus of starting small where, where are the pain points in the course you know we, we work we are inside of a teaching and learning unit um, that provides instructional design assistance that provides you know um, technical support with the LMS with uh, integrations into the LMS with a, a full campus-wide faculty professional development um, and so this this unit that we are in I would say the way to connect with faculty who may have some resistance and and, and understandably I mean faculty have so many demands placed on them. I don't care if it's K-12 or higher ed. There are so many different demands on teachers and faculty. And so when we do consultations with faculty, and um, uh, I had the fortunate opportunity to hire a director of Universal Design for Learning this last year, and so she has really been helping us to have some of these strategic conversations with faculty to identify where are the pain points in the courses, where are the barriers that students generally have common issues with, and then how can we look at supporting those, uh, re reducing, I should say, those barriers. Are there ways that the UDL framework or accessible technologies and accessible materials can help with that? And so back to your question, it's, it's starting small. I think too often people perceive accessibility, digital accessibility, as this monstrous, like it's the Mount Everest of the mountain ranges, right? And it doesn't have to be. It can be a rolling hill. You can build success very in incremental stages and celebrate those successes and share those successes. And I think that's a really important part. And I think 
That's an area here, even at Virginia Tech, that we're constantly trying to improve upon, that we need to recognize these efforts, however small or large that they are, and that, you know, based on the many demands for time, that a faculty member taking the time and effort to improve, let's say, a caption track for recorded content um, of a Zoom recording of a class video, you know, that, that should be recognized, whether or not it's in their yearly annual assessment or whether or not it's part of a bigger story that talks about scaled improvement of inclusive media across the campus. And I think you know my team and, and, and my parent organization has that responsibility to, to be able to understand and, and bring, bring awareness to the work that's happening in all across the university. And that's what's so exciting is that we've got work happening not just in the instructional space, but in all of the units that are responsible for the operations of the university, from HR to university libraries to um, comms and marketing teams. I mean, it's it's really neat to see that. And and folks are are adopting and hopping, adopting best practices in digital accessibility and hopping on board in incremental stages. And I think that's that's the approach. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, this is not, uh, I'm not reinventing anything here. This is, I, I think uh, Thomas Tobin and, and Kirsten Bailing have you know the plus one strategy identified in their book and, and I love that approach like that was like a amen when I saw that I'm like yes I 100% agree to that you know that 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 strategy has really been a, a, a way that's that's that, that our faculty and staff have really connected with and so taking that approach even with faculty that are hesitant managing a lot start small and, and we have that conversation in our consultations like okay well maybe it's just adding alt text to your images for this course semester you're going to do that that's your first thing and we're going to provide you with the training and resources and tools that you need to do that um, and then from there you reassess and you look at where those barriers are and you look at the student feedback and you figure out where you're going to prioritize some accessibility efforts next I love it, and shout out to uh, all of those professionals you mentioned, like Thomas Tobin. I've definitely been inspired by that approach as well of the plus one thinking. And I love that you're giving faculty time to, you know, this is not you need to master it in a week. Uh, we have a whole year, right? So, so you get to learn about it, you get to go out and implement it over the course of a whole semester or a whole year, and then you get to reflect on it. So I really think you're modeling not just accessibility, but you're modeling universal design for learning, right? Because UDL, it's an iterative process, and you just continue to reflect and improve over time. So um, I love how you are going about rolling this out. Um, and, and really bringing more people into the conversation, as you said, addressing those pain points and celebrating their victories and building on those victories. And then we bring them into the conversation. So speaking of sort of coordinating things, right, because you mentioned a number of departments that are involved. Um, I know that you look to the AIM Center's quality indicators uh, for some guidance in the work that you're doing. Can you tell our audience how you've incorporated the quality indicators for the provision of AIM and accessible technologies at Virginia Tech? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the indicators have been... Uh, uh... I would say a, a foundation element into into a lot of our work that we've done here with accessible technologies. I think we first looked at the indicators back in 2018. Um, it was kind of around the same time that Calm was conceptualized, and we um, so so my team is recently uh, my team and my parent organization were relocated underneath of the provost office, but we had at the time been under the division of IT, and so. Our, our focus with my team is more on universal access 
and in universal accessibility. We have two other teams on campus that we work very closely with. One is uh, the Services for Students with Disabilities team, which provides accommodation level support to students. And then we have a, an ADA team that provides accommodation level assistance to faculty and staff. So we connected with the Services for Students with Disabilities team. We sat down collectively together and we actually reviewed the, the indicators. And we looked, we, we, we looked to identify areas of opportunity for us um, that we could both, um, as, as a combined effort, look at helping to improve digital accessibility. And, and those discussions really led us to identifying where we had some gaps um, as far as being able to provide timely access to accessible educational materials or robust professional development, more robust professional development structures. And so we, uh, many of our, our current projects, initiatives, have all sort of stemmed from that initial review of the indicators and in looking at areas of improvement. And, and I would probably say one of our biggest areas that we've significantly enhanced since 2018 would be the, we're looking at um, uh, indicator four in providing comprehensive learning opportunities. And so that, not only the Calm campaign helps support that, but we also um, developed a, um, a grant program an accessibility professional certification grant program to again all under the premise of franchising accessibility to build capacity um, across the university both in instructional and non-instructional faculty and staff and uh, we leveraged um, the International Association of Accessibility certification programs uh, both the CPAC um, the Certified Professional Accessibility Core Competency, which is a mouthful, and the WAS, the Web Accessibility Specialist. And we used these certifications as the foundation to develop a cohort that uh, folks from Virginia Tech, and we've actually extended this cohort to other universities and, and colleges across the Commonwealth of Virginia, that would participate in a um, uh, 11 to 15 week, depending on the cohort, cohort that meets on a weekly basis and it's not only providing support to participate, the end result participating in the certification exam, but we integrate all of the best practices and resources and um, tools that are available here at Virginia Tech as we go, as these individuals go through the cohort. So they're getting kind of a snapshot of what does digital accessibility look like here at Virginia Tech? What are the tools, the best practices? Who are the people that are doing this well that I can connect with if I've got questions? Not just the digital accessibility, you know, the accessible technologies team here at Tech, but who are people in all the respective units that are doing this type of work? And then the icing on the cake, if, if folks want, then they can take the certification exam and have that international certification uh, for both CPAC or WAS. But that's really helped us scale some awareness around UDL, around models of disability, around you know, ARIA labeling for the more intensive um, uh, uh, developers uh, and, and, and designers here on campus. And it's really been a, a fantastic journey with these programs. I think we've had over 125 folks participate in our CPAC program, and the WAS program is, I think, north of uh, I want to say around 25 uh, uh, folks that have participated in that, but it's it's been a really great way of, again, 
working to build that community, that shared understanding and responsibility. And now, you know, we've got folks that reach out to these individuals across the university. They're not just coming to us, which is great. They come to us when they get the really d difficult ones, and, and we, of course, um, provide assistance with those. But again, it's 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 becoming the, the digital accessibility is becoming common in the daily work of many individuals across campus. I love what I'm hearing uh, and how you've um, used the quality indicators, right? So there are seven quality indicators, and I'm sure you've reviewed them all and then focus on this is the one that's going to have the biggest impact at our university or our university system. And I love how you're using that fourth quality indicator to really build capacity and scale uh, because that's the name of the game is uh, it can't stay in your department, right? You have to bring additional people into the fold. And I love that um, those exams that you mentioned, um, I've taken them. And I know that even if you don't take the exam, just preparing for it is going to make you a better professional. You're going to learn things that you may not see on an everyday basis, but in preparing for that, you'll be better uh, able to answer you know, all kinds of questions that come your way. So now people can look not just to you or your department, but they have other people in the system that are able to provide support. And that's a great story because that's the goal. I think you're reaching your goal of franchising accessibility with the help of the quality indicators and specifically quality indicator four. Uh, so I encourage everybody to check out those quality indicators. They're on the AIM Center website under the coordinate tab. And there are also critical components that take the quality indicators and translate them into the specific language of higher education. Uh, so definitely encourage everyone and we'll post a link to the quality indicators and the critical components in our show notes. Uh, so speaking of all this great work that you're doing at Virginia Tech, which I love to hear about, um, I'm sure there's some resources that you're really proud about. Um, are there any that you'd be able to share with our audience that we could post to the show notes um, that would help them as well uh, learn more about accessibility and how to implement it on their campuses? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's that's you know, as 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 an educator, lifelong educator, that's one of the things I love about the assistive technology or accessibility fields of colleagues is that you know we're very open and and open to sharing, and and I 100% model that philosophy with our work here. Um, probably say that specific files like we have design files for our comm campaigns that we've developed for um, the sticker files and the, the Photoshop poster files and things like that. Those are files that we've offered to, to other universities and, and institutions that are looking to establish a similar campaign, maybe with a different color scheme. Um, I know here in Virginia, my colleagues at uh, James Madison University, they reached out and they were like, hey, Mark, hey, we really want to use your campaign, but we want to use Keep Calm, and, uh, or uh, the campaign was going to be Keep Calm. And it was either use or do UDL. I can't remember exactly what what their campaign was, but they uh, they they took our files and they rebranded with their uh, color scheme and and were passing out stickers and posters and that's fantastic, right? That's we we want to help improve the environment for all students. So that's probably one tangible resource that that I'd be happy to share um, with folks um, looking to you know have something that can spark conversations um, with those design files. We have all of the content for these campaigns on our website, and uh, and I'd be happy to share that website with you, uh, Luis, so that, that, that everybody can access the, the content that we have with those campaigns. Um, you're welcome to reuse that content, the, the language, um, you know, however it can help in your circles of influence, um, you know, we, we want to make sure to 
to share the, those for the for the betterment of the the greater educational community. So. And then I'd say anything regarding like the grant program has been one that we have spent a tremendous amount of time and effort and we're continuously refining these programs. So I don't have a, a, a document per se to share, but if anybody is looking at establishing professional development structures or wanting to pursue like a grant program, a cohort like we've developed here, I'm more than willing to chat with anybody on, on what worked for us, where we had some, some uh, bumps along the way, how we've you know been able to uh, Im improve our program based on uh, some of those barriers that we encountered and and it's a it's a continuous work in process but um, I'd be happy to to converse and, and offer any advice to folks looking to establish some sort of a professional development or grant program. I definitely agree with you, Mark. Uh, that's the beauty of our community is that it's so generous and so welcoming. Um, you can be someone who doesn't know, you know, just knows the words accessibility and you come into a conversation and people will welcome you with open arms and they just, you know, we all want to do good in the world. Um, so I really appreciate you being so generous and sharing those resources and uh, we'll make sure that we'll post them in the show notes or post some links. Uh, so to wrap up our conversation, uh, you mentioned that you're open to people reaching out to you and you, you know, sharing your knowledge about all the wonderful work that you're doing at Virginia Tech. So what's the best way to connect with you? I'm going to show my age here, but I love email. Uh, maybe love is not the right word, but I am very responsive in email. I, sometimes I organize my activities via email and, and using my calendar. So email is, is definitely one way to reach out. Um, I'm, I'm very responsive through email um, and we'll, I know we'll post my, my email address here at the end. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not a tremendously active participant on Twitter, but if you do contact me through Twitter, I will certainly respond through Twitter um, and, and uh, we'll list my, my handle on Twitter here in the show notes. Um, and then our, our, our main website for accessible technologies, it does offer a, a variety of information around some of the other projects and initiatives that we have uh, currently here at Virginia Tech. So if there's, you know, you could contact us, me through the, the contact section of, of our um, accessible technologies website and we can connect there. Awesome. Well, you heard it here. You were able to connect with Mark and uh, kind of follow their work at Virginia Tech, uh, learn from it. Uh, take some of their generously shared resources and then um, create similar initiatives that have that ripple effect. And I think that's what you've been talking about uh, with us on this episode is you started small and then you started having these ripple effects uh, across campus and then across the system. So uh, and we started this conversation with the passion that brought you into this work, right? The personal connection and that passion has really driven uh, systemic change at Virginia Tech uh, through your work and through, we're just happy to be able to support it through the use of the quality indicator. So we appreciate the opportunity to work with you in that sense. Uh, so thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it having you here. And, and I know I'm inspired by the work that you're doing, and I'm sure our audience is uh, as well once they learn more about it. 
Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. It was absolutely my pleasure, and uh, and I look forward to uh, connecting with your audience if they have questions or comments, or um, if you do take these ideas. I, I love to hear about ways that other people are are improving digital accessibility. So you know, let's let's connect. And one of the one of the ways that that we've shared for connecting with me because I'd love to learn more about what the work that you're you're doing in your areas of influence. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Accessible Learning Experience, brought to you by the National Center on Accessible Educational Materials at CAST. You can find us on the web at aem.cast.org. There you'll find show notes with links to all of the resources mentioned on each episode. Thanks again for listening, and remember, accessibility is everyone's responsibility. The contents of this podcast were developed under a cooperative agreement with the U.S. Department of Education. However, those contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government.